Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Just like that, the second hour is here for Hot Mike across the Outkick Network. And if you're watching on YouTube, we'll hope you'll like and subscribe to the channel. So you'll get us every day starting live at 3 o'clock Eastern, 3 to 6 weekdays here. On, on the Outkick. Outkick channel only now. If that's you're right. trying to find us on, on YouTube, that's where we are every day. And across this uh, great radio network as well. We appreciate you and the great station you're listening to. And uh, again, streaming live, you can find us at Outkick.com or on YouTube. Uh, Chad, Victor Hovland, the leader, currently tied with John Rahm at seven under on the day. That's your leader at the Masters as Tiger Woods is through his first 18, two over for round number one. And some of the other scores of note, Adam Scott, currently five under on 17, followed by Cameron Young and Brooks Kepka, who is the leader among the Live Tour golfers. Brooks Kepka at five under. He is just uh, hitting Amen Corner right now, uh, right in the middle of it. So uh, uh, keep an eye on him. But also, atop the leaderboard, John Rahm continues to do that. Hit, hit straight and hit well, and he's at seven under currently after one. Jordan Spieth also, really good start to the day, three under through seven. So he's got a chance to make a move. Justin Thomas also right now, I believe, at three under par, two under par now. Uh, done for the day, so a good day for him. Our guy Scott Stallings, who we had on this week, two under par, finished for the day. If you can go under par on day number one, you're going to put yourself in the mix. And uh, that's what a lot of these guys have done so far. So uh, good start to the tournament and uh, some big names close to the top of the league. Yeah, I mean, just going through some of it, too. Phil Mickelson is uh, even uh, through 11. And Scotty Scheffler, I believe, is one over, if I'm not mistaken. Or maybe it's two, two under. As I refresh this, Xander Shoffley is also there at two under. Scotty Scheffler is now two under through eight. Two under. Colin Morikawa two under. Also, so he's gone back and forth. Yeah, Morikawa also at two under, but he's through nine. Uh, another big name, big big American name that's doing well today. So uh, Kevin Na had to withdraw uh, due to an illness earlier today, and Mike Weir had to play a, the the back nine, the, the second nine by himself. How nerve-wracking do you think that would be, especially going through the back nine at Augusta National? Now, he's I think it would feel like a practice round. He knows this, but, yeah, I, I mean, it might. Yeah. It might. Um, it may take a little pressure off even. Yeah, but going through aiming corner by yourself. And, again, he's played this course a number of times. But uh, I, I vaguely remember this. They, they used to have a guy who was the, the stand-in, the fill-in, a member. Like, if something happened and a, a player had to withdraw – you had someone stand in and just play the round with you there. Hmm. I don't know if they do that anymore. Clearly, they didn't do I it guess for Mike not. Weir. Or maybe I, the I player, didn't know they did that before. That's, maybe that's, the player has the right to, with, with, to refuse that. I don't know. How cool would it be? To, you can't win the tournament. You're just there to play, play through. How cool would it be to just, you know, you got what the clubs if you ready went, to go? What if you went five under in your <laughs> round as the fill-in? I mean, I'd be arguing, hey. Well, then you're you know, like I, Merrimack. I, I don't want to. 
question the how you select players and all, but I did better than the guy, the pro that I played with today. Maybe I should get go to Friday and do this again. Maybe Saturday. Maybe I make the cut. Rory McIlroy, one over through eight, also another notable name. And Matthew Fitzpatrick, also right there with him, one over through nine. Last year's U.S. Open champion, Matthew Matt Fitzpatrick. So a couple other uh, notables on the list. Bryson DeChambeau, two over par through 16. I think I'd prefer to play solo. Really? I don't know that I'd want to have just someone so come out but and you, be he, there. But you would know the guy. Like he's, yeah. he's, he's the designee. Well, so Tiger Woods caddy's coming out and saying he's in bad shape, you know, in this tournament, and it, it's really hard on him. But if he had a golf cart mm-hmm. and there was an exemption for that, he'd be fine that he could contend on Sunday. To which I immediately thought, can we just give the guy a golf cart? <laughs> I know this was a huge issue that went through the courts. Uh, with the player years ago, Casey something I think was the guy's name. I'm blanking on the player's was it name. Paul Casey? No, it no. wasn't Paul Casey. It was I think his, I want to say his oh. first name was Casey. Yes, remember that he had an, uh, a medical condition where he needed a card, and it went all the way. I mean, it went up multiple courts to try to get the PGA to allow for him to have a golf cart, and it Casey didn't. Casey Martin. Thank you. Name. I was I was thinking Martin. Casey Martin went through all this, but I, if there's anyone. I know you don't want to circumvent the rules and all that, but if there's anyone to make an exception for, it's Tiger Woods at majors, right? Just throw the guy a golf cart and let him go out there and see if it improves his game. There are no exceptions, including for those that are... I know. It's just wishful thinking. And you know who else wouldn't want it? Tiger. Well, his caddy's the one saying it, so maybe he's... Well, if he had a golf cart, he would be fine, but he's saying he can't walk, and that's why he's in such bad shape. But I'm saying the fact that caddy's putting it out there, maybe Tiger has... Told him, yeah, put it out there. Let's see if they'll give me one at some point. <laughs> I, I mean, Let's the, go win another the major. last major that Tiger wins, the record setter, would be the one where he's on the golf cart. Are you I'm, kidding I'm me? I'm also amazed at the idea of Tiger on a you know with two other golfers <laughs> on an early round, and they're having to walk up the fairway, and you just yeah. hear that little golf cart motor <laughs> coming right past him, and it's Tiger's caddy just driving him up to his next shot. I'd love to see it. Oh, uh, hit us up with your thoughts uh, on socials where you can find us. Uh, Chad, so Shohei Otani, he's the first player. We're going to have a lot of firsts this season. He's the first player to have the pitch clock violation and the uh, the pitch clock violation for both on the mound and in the batter's box. And I thought when I first saw this, well, he'll be the first and the only. But then I thought, maybe we see more of this. Maybe not a ton. But I'm not so sure that he's the first and only player to see a violation on the mound and in the batter's box, especially given the fact that when teams are up by 17, we see positional players on the mound too. This is a learning experience for all of us. I'm learning new things about this rule because when you just look at it on paper and you're going through everything, the 20 seconds at some points, 20 seconds with a runner on base, 15 without, got to be in the box and ready by eight seconds or it's a violation. It all runs together. But when you see it in practice – and you see violations of the pitch clock being called, it really does help you learn about it. Example, Shohei Otani was in violation of the pitch clock rule because it took him more than 30 seconds to get up to bat (laughs) from the previous batter to him. That seems like a long time. Like a guy who forgot he was on deck? Yeah, like they had, Shohei, where is he? Get him a helmet. He's up. I mean, that seems like a long time to yeah, get ready to go up the bat. Was he hammering it up with his music they were playing to come up, waving at the crowd? That's a long time. But the, the quick pitch was the other one, which I didn't know about. You can't 
that this is something Max Scherzer, I think, tried in, in spring training. To catch someone? To catch someone. They have to basically signal they're ready if it's a certain point on the pitch clock. I forget the exact time. They have to be in and ready, and then once it's eight seconds, the pitcher can do whatever they want. But if it's from 15 or 20 down to 12 or 15, you can't pitch unless they signal to the umpire they're ready to go. And Otani started to deliver a pitch, and he was in violation of the pitch clock because it was a quick pitch violation. Didn't know about that. So the more you watch these games and you see this, I think we're going to learn more and more about this in practice. Can you imagine how maddening this must be for the umpires? I was thinking about this on the drive yesterday. So we were discussing, you know, you're, you're going from an, uh, a group of hitters that are used to doing one thing to now having to jump in the batter's box and be ready to go. And we're all for it. But it's very similar to me to the, the mechanism and the practice of tackling. Guys, uh, the, initially the linebackers in the NFL were complaining in a big way about this, de- defensive players in general, because they had to reteach themselves what they had been taught their entire careers dating back to when they were in peewee. And guys adjusted to it. The MLB players will too. But then I thought, man, the officials, this feels like more thrown together than what the NFL did when they rolled out all of their new rules and penalties, at least just initially. Because you mentioned Scherzer. The NFL during the preseason would have coaches, and I remember a couple of instances for this on the sideline. They'd have coaches intentionally call a certain play or try to set up something where it would be not in a tackling form, but a certain issue that could arise in week 17 that is unlikely to happen but could, and then you have the officials go through the mechanics of that, not knowing it was going to happen. I don't know, did did umpires go through this too? I'm, I'm assuming they did where... But surely MLB would have done this during spring training where you set up certain things like a quick pitch just to see how it's called and what happens and to teach the players in real time about it. Yeah, I, I'm starting to believe more and more in the we don't need a home plate umpire calling balls and strikes. If they're going to be well, administering this also, that's a huge there, there can, there can the, be a home plate umpire that's looking at the pitch clock administering the game, looking at the batter, looking at the pitcher, calling safe out at home. But I, I am a purist in a lot of ways, and I, I understand the history of it, but if the goal is honestly just to get it right, that's a lot to ask the home plate umpire because calling balls and strikes in a Major League Baseball game oh, no. is taxing in and of itself. And now we're asking them to look at the timer, to call this, to make sure the batter's ready, to make sure the pitcher's ready. It's just a lot and maybe it leads to worse umpiring in Major League Baseball because there's so much going on for that home plate umpire. And we have the technology in tennis with in and out We can get it right. We can see it through lasers. You could see ball strike, and it would be 100% right every time on the call, whether it was a ball or strike, if you had that system in place. And it would free up but, the umpire for all of this other stuff. But how much of it – who gets the advantage in that? To me, it would be the hitter. I mean, pitcher. it should be. Hey, look, if you're the good, pitcher, you, you work the you work the plate based on the umpire. Yeah, but if you're, I think if you're good, it's just you don't care because you want a strike to be a strike and a ball to be a ball, and you know the strike zone. So there's less arguing about it. I mean, it's you're going to argue with the eye in the sky or the AI technology that's showing you know ball strike on it. I, I just 
again, I understand that it's if you want to say it's just a part of the game. Bad calls, bad pitch, bad strike zones, having to adjust if you're a pitcher or hitter, all part of the game for over 100 years, and it's going to continue to be a part of the game. Or do you want to argue, let's just get it right? Because suddenly it was okay to let's just get it right on the bases or with home runs with review. Let's get that right. But no, 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 no. We can't get the balls and strikes right. If the umpire's screwing up that well, day, that's just part of it. Yeah, but on an 0-2 count, that's a huge advantage to the hitter because you don't have to reach for trash that could be a strike. And you, you're not going to throw it down the plate on an 0-2 because you're, you're going to work the count there to the pitcher's advantage. Again, it takes out some of the, the gamesmanship of the player versus player there on an island for both. I don't like the... I, I like to be able to... You could... You can argue a fair foul ball, home run, whatever, based on what the you know the situation would be for for uh, for tennis, which is very accurate. Or you can have a challenge on a ball strike and actually within five seconds know it. I don't think it takes it doesn't add time to the game in that regard. Yeah, I mean, if, even if look, that's probably how you ease into these waters is just like you have review. And you go to the video on safe out. Yep. You have two. Let's say you have two reviews a night on a 3-2 pitch, ball strike, and it goes to a tennis system where everyone's looking up at the Jumbotron, and it shows the strike, and it shows exactly where it hit on there, and it goes on the 3D, and it adds a little bit of an element of surprise to it where you can immediately challenge it. The, The batter is upset asking for the challenge. Manager looks at it, contemplates, says, okay, we're going to challenge it. And everyone gets to either be proven a fool or proven correct right there in the moment. I wouldn't mind that. That's fine. But just don't. And they've done that in the minors. Yeah, if it doesn't take too much time, then. I mean, it took like eight seconds, I believe. I do like that in tennis. Eight seconds when, is there. When, they, when they the player only, you know, there's no coach that does it in tennis. But when the tennis player can challenge immediately and you've got the crowd reacting yep. in real time to whether or not it's in or out is fun to watch. Uh, according to Davey Census, according to the new rules, the batter has to signal that he's ready unless it's within the final eight seconds of the 15-second clock. If there's a runner on base, the clock extends from 15 to 20 seconds. And the rule I was reading with Otani last night also was it's, it, there's like a four- or five-second buffer period. This is where it gets really confusing. But if it's down, like you, you don't have to signal at nine. right? That's when you can get called for the violation if you're messing around once it gets to eight. So it's not just eight. I think it's like the first five seconds of the clock. Okay. A, a pitcher can't deliver a pitch in that time it has to be in a certain zone or has to the clock has to hit a certain number before he can deliver the pitch this is what i tell my softball team at all times be ready the best way to learn a sport is to play the sport and to scrimmage and to play games and you're only going to learn by being put being put in different situations in a game where you're going to do it you're going to remember or you're not that this is what happens i am fully looking at this major league baseball rule i'm going to watch my braves and watch random games, and I feel like the more I watch the Major League Baseball season, the more I'm going to learn about this, and the more we're all going to learn about it, because we're not really going to know until we see it implemented in games. And now we're getting a little bit more info. Manny Machado was one step two days ago. Now Shohei Otani with the pitch violation and the batting violation. We're going to get little bits of info every time we turn on the TV or go to a Major League Baseball game. And we're going to learn more and more about it and whether or not we like it. Here's what I love about everything right now. Games are 30 minutes quicker than they were a year ago, which is exactly what Major League Baseball wanted. And that, for that reason, it has worked yep. beautifully so far. 
Coming up, Armando Salguero will join us. We'll dive into the NFL headlines, including the debate on who's going number one. And then from there, what happens in the top four, where the Colts have spent a ton of time with a ton of people flying up, a bunch of people uh, to uh, uh, check out Will Levis in a private workout this morning. We will also get into the sale of the Washington Commanders. We think it's going to happen. And for a bit, it seemed like there was one guy in mind, Josh Harris, who has a, a bid in. Reports are it's the asking price. But according to Fox Business and Charlie Gasparino, Bezos is back. And Dan Snyder's not against it. We'll ask Armando about that next from Hotline. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Glad you're with us as we broadcast from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Armando Salguero joins us on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Armando, great to have you back. Hope things are well. I'm doing great. Uh, by the way, last week I forgot to congratulate you two on your new uh, show name. Yes. Um, so congratulations to... Hot men on hot mic. That's, that's amazing. It's Magic Mike 3.0 coming to you. The theater's next summer, I think, on, on this show. Oh, wow. Armando, you fit right in. You fit right yeah, in. Yeah, it's, it's three's a party, Armando. <laughs> Look at that. Hot men, plural, yeah. plus, plus three. All right. This is going in directions I'm not comfortable with. <laughs> on to football. You open the door. You open the door. Hey. Yeah, I Let's go. Let's start with the business side of things where Fox Business and, and Charlie Gasparino has, has the report that Bezos has not been blocked by Snyder for submitting a bid. And in fact, uh, the headline reads that Bezos is the new favorite. But is this Snyder just trolling everybody across the league more than it is getting Bezos back involved? What do you, how do you read this? <laughs> I read this as. When you're selling something, tis better to have multiple buyers than to have one favorite buyer or one or two buyers. And obviously, we understand that the reason for that is because multiple buyers are more apt to create a bidding war. And I, look, my guess is that this is going to be a $6 billion sale, right? Um, Jeff Bezos, if he really wanted, really wanted the Washington Commanders, mm -hmm. he could he could pretty much trump that number. Uh, it is at his disposal, and I'm not sure what financing uh, he has behind him as far as banks and so forth and partners. But if he wanted to, he could do this all by himself in a mostly cash deal. And it's pretty obvious that the Washington commanders, Dan Snyder would love that because this guy is a slam dunk and a slam dunk 
to be approved by ownership. Yeah, and the owners would love it because by making a bid higher than Josh Harris, that lifts all of the the teams up in value, just like the the the, the sale of the Broncos did. Absolutely, and the sale the Broncos went for what four point five billion around there. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, and. $4.58 billion, I think, was the actual number. Uh, I, I do believe that, you know, you would think that because everyone knows that Snyder must sell, that he is on the outs generally with some of his fellow owners, you would think that someone would try to come in and lower that number but no one has and it's stunning to me that no one has knowing that this is a guy that needs to get out and he is not saying that the nfl was very quiet at the annual meeting about this topic because no one wants to ruin it for daniel snyder as he's on his way out but that's a fact he is on his way out in a recent interview, Cam Newton revealed the quarterbacks he'd like to back up in the NFL, that he'd be willing to back up. Armando, do you buy that Cam Newton can be what a backup quarterback in the NFL needs to be at this point in his career? Sure. Uh, look, I see some of these backups, and – there's multiple kinds of backups. There are backups that are in the league because they know the system and they have connections to the quarterback coach or the offensive coordinator or the head coach himself. And they're just good people um, to kind of have in the building. There are guys that are backups because they're developing and hopefully someday they, they will challenge for a starting job. And then there are backups who are kind of on their way out and they're kind of bridge guys, but you can count on them to play for you if your starter is out because they've been starters themselves. They've helped their teams in the past win games and maybe in short increments, they can help you win games. I would say of those, Cam Newton more likely fits into the, the last of those because he's, he's putting himself out there for any system. He doesn't fit any system. And he's obviously not a developmental quarterback. He's a guy that clearly is, is a player that if you have an injury in short increments, he can make it work. But you know, it's pretty obvious that Cam Newton is 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 asking for something that's not available at this present time. Armando Salguero with us. The debate will continue all the way up to the draft, just as the NFL wants it for number one overall. But I'm curious, from from where the Colts are at four, if they if if Ursay wants a rookie quarterback, I know they spent a ton of time this morning with with Will Levis, but. If Ursay is telling them, we want the rookie QB, and you're trying to set your franchise up for a run but with a franchise quarterback of the future, they can't stay at four, can they? They're, I mean, 
truly and, and get that guy? Uh, maybe they can, but nothing's assured. And I know that the only spot to move up would be three, but I wouldn't want anyone jumping into the third spot ahead of me if I'm Indy right now at four. Well, if they're comfortable with Will Levis, they should probably stay at four because yeah. I bet you someone who wants Anthony Richardson would be willing to go to three. Uh, Anthony Richardson is more likely to be the third quarterback taken than Will Levis, in my opinion. Um, and I understand Will Levis brings a lot to the table, great arm, you know, lots of great selfies and all that. But Anthony Richardson is a, he is just different. And he offers an, an athleticism that I don't think anybody else in this draft has at the quarterback position. Is he raw? Is he clearly not ready to play? Yes, he's raw and not ready to play. But if you're talking a couple of years down the road, he's probably the best prospect. So we know three of the top four picks are very quarterback needy with the Texans, Colts, Panthers. Um, there's been teams that are reportedly interested in that move you're talking about, Armando, to trade up to three and likely draft Anthony Richardson, Titans being one of them. Is there one team that you see in the spot they're drafting in and what they would have to give up in draft capital to move up to three, and you look at their quarterback situation, their team situation, and you say, aha, that one makes a ton of sense to move up because either they're that desperate for quarterback or because – an Anthony Richardson reboot for their offense would make a lot of sense for that team. Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned this because in today's edition of outkick.com, I wrote about the, the, the quarterback situation. There are a dozen teams that have starting quarterbacks have not need have starting quarterbacks for 2023 in place and they're looking at quarterbacks in the first round it's it's stunning to me it used to be that if you could you know find like a a, a bridge guy for a year you kind of kick the can down the road on drafting that quarterback because you wanted to address other needs and and sure enough uh it works sometimes but guess what? Now teams are looking at young quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks, and their contracts and saying those are so valuable that we want to add those instead of a starting whatever, receiver, a starting whatever need you actually have. They're willing to go to the possibility of finding that elite guy, knowing that they have a, a veteran bridge guy. And we're talking here about let's see tampa bay they have baker mayfield we're talking baltimore they may or may not have lamar jackson we're talking new orleans they have Derek carr they're looking at a quarterback in the first round uh you're talking obviously about atlanta they've committed to to desmond Ryder. uh ritter i've never been straight on that and and all that commitment has gotten them, yeah, we're going to look at quarterbacks in the first round. Las Vegas committed to Jimmy G. 
They're looking at quarterbacks in the first round. And one of the guys, Seattle is another team. They're looking at a quarterback in the first round. And a name that keeps popping up here that hasn't been named as one of the four likely first round picks, but I keep hearing as a possible first round pick in a, in a trade down scenario is Hendon Hooker. He has gotten all of a sudden, this guy is flying all over the country, interviewing with all these teams, visiting all these teams, because uh, I don't know what it is, but I guess everybody just saw him play against Alabama and decided, oh, he's good. Well, and then also with him, I mean, I think it's evening out for him a bit based on where he would have been in the Heisman race and all that too for college football and then where the injury took him. And maybe also you get the fifth-year option, which is huge for quarterback if you are negotiating something and, and you're Jordan Love, for instance, uh, where you're going, Hooker's going to go in and back up one of these guys. You lose a year there, and then maybe you keep a guy around because you made a nice run in the postseason and Hooker's still the backup, and then you have to make a decision. But I, especially in the AFC, Armando, regardless of quarterback, if I'm not one of like the five that have their guy, I'm looking in the draft to find my guy because I'm not going to survive it if I'm a coach or a GM by the next time the draft rolls around. And and because of the fact that if you have the the guy you like but not the guy you love, right? if you have a bridge guy but not the elite guy, you're never going to win a championship because Joe Burrow, Justin Herbert, Josh Allen, and oh, by the way, Patrick Mahomes are in the AFC. Curious where you come down to this, a game of will he be traded by the time the NFL draft concludes? So we'll just say first night because that would be the return. Mac Jones. No. Ryan Tannehill. Wow, that one's hard. No. Trey Lance. I like this game. <laughs> well, as long as you're not asking me why, I'm good with it. Uh, well, I, like I want to circle back to think- a couple, but Trey Lance. Uh, no. Lamar Jackson. Mm, wow. No. So all of the buzz about trading the guys, and, and, and so we're discussing it's a few. the one that is going to be traded. Aaron Rodgers. Yes. Well, okay. But but I think we I'll all agree the, on that. I'll complete the game for you, Armando. Aaron Rodgers, go. yes. But Aaron Rodgers to the Jets, I, I don't. again, I don't know what the return is going to be, but – the quarterbacks, the teams that you're mentioning in, in part here, New England, Tennessee, uh, and also with Baltimore, I mean, they're looking to, at other QBs, but they're also potentially trading their guy. But you just mentioned it. Teams are more willing to have a young guy on that rookie contract and take a, take a roll of the dice than they are to trade for a proven commodity when healthy in a guy like Lamar Jackson. Correct. Uh, let's go to Mac Jones for a second. Okay. You said on the first night, there's nobody trading a first-round draft pick for Mac Jones, and he is also on a rookie contract right now. Mm-hmm. So it behooves the the New England Patriots, if they want to add a quarterback, you can have two guys on a rookie quarterback, and it's still very cheap, and you're not going to get the 15th overall pick for Mac Jones like they gave up a couple of years ago. Um, let's see. Who else did you mention? Trey Lance. Uh, Trey, same issue. I mean, Trey Lance is likely not the starter for the San Francisco 49ers next year, but they gave up 
was it three first round picks for three, him? Three, if you count, and it does count. Three, if you count the one from the same same year to move up. Yes, absolutely. And are they getting that any any anywhere close to that return? No. And who else do they have on the roster that's going to be any better or might be any better? No one. So, and he's on a rookie deal. So, you know, I see him as a 49er. And as far as Tannehill's concerned, you hesitated, but you ultimately said no. Look, we all know that the, the Ram Carthon wants to upgrade. Okay. The, the Titans want to upgrade at quarterback. And again, Hendon Hooker is a name that keeps getting yes. uh, bandied about there. And I get the natural tie-in, of course. But they understand that Malik Hooker didn't exactly suggest that he's going to be a guy last year. Malik Willis. He has a long, a long, uh, excuse me, Malik Willis. He has a long way to go. Tannehill's going to be 35 in July, 35. And when the playoffs come, if the Titans are in it, he's going to be Ryan Tannehill. So the Titans know that, and that is the reason that they are definitely, definitely wanting to upgrade. Can that result in a trade? Not with that contract. Somebody's going to take on that contract? That's going to be hard. So, Armando, you wrote yesterday that the most troubled franchise the NFL currently is the Arizona Cardinals. Why? (laughs) Well, their quarterback's not going to play at the beginning of the season. He's going to miss the preseason. He's going to miss training camp. He's going to miss the entire offseason. He's never been a super huge study guy, as we know. (laughs) Call of Duty, though. Big Call of Duty guy. (laughs) Yes. And now he's off injured and coming back from an ACL and meniscus tear. So it's going to be a while. They're trying to trade. Uh, DeAndre Hopkins no one wants to trade for him because of the contract they lost J.J. Watt to retirement they lost a couple of other guys on a defense that was 31st in the NFL in points allowed and they haven't replaced them and oh by the way they have their former director of player personnel who filed a grievance claim against the owner because the previous general manager, Steve Kime, was on suspension in 2018 for drunk driving. And the owner allegedly suggested, not suggested, but handed out burner phones to, to, uh, to the staff so they could contact Steve Kime while he was on suspension, which is a no-no. Other than that, other than that portrait, the Cardinals have their house in order. Everything's fine. Thank you very much. Did you mention? Did you even mention Bidwell's name in that? That's impressive. That's, that's you listed a, everything. You didn't say Bidwell. Yeah, you know, some guys. Everybody know who owns what team. Yeah. Michael Bidwell is one of the more I would say to you, uh, not anonymous because. Yeah. Um, you know, but he's not a, a top 10 known name. The Cardinals have been to the postseason 11 times. That's nuts to me. Uh, when you consider their uh, the runs that they've tried to make versus what they've actually done. 
And in the salary cap era, that's tough to do, especially when you have number one pick. So, I mean, think about it. It will be number style. 12 in 2023. That's, I can assure you of that. that. Okay, there you go. Um, looking ahead to where we are in free agency, explain for us briefly, Armando, the pause that is put on free agency this time of year as everyone gets into their draft room, war room, and they go into their bunkers, and then they assess where rosters are following the draft, and it's really like a phase two or even a phase three of free agency afterwards. Absolutely. Uh, what we have in free agency now is, is a pause. It's halftime, and, and teams are going to try to fill their needs, try to add to their you know, rosters with young talent that, again, vital to the salary cap is cheap and young and you can develop them and you can mold them and they are who you want them to be uh, as far as the contract and growing up in the NFL. Whereas the free agents who are available now, they may or may not be a fit to your system. They definitely probably want um, a higher contract and they're often older. So the guys that get signed after the draft to teams get signed because the team has a need at the position that they didn't fill in the draft and has extra salary cap space to do one-year deals typically. You're not going to find a lot of four-year, $100 million deals. And by not a lot, I mean none after the draft. So... What we're getting is the back end of free agency and the desperation end of free agency after the draft. And uh, as I said one more, I lied. Tyreek Hill announced that he's going to retire after his contract expires in 2025. He says he wants to play 10 years and that's it. More power to him. The recent contract, 72 and a half million guaranteed, I believe. But when I saw this and when the contract expires, there are very few players that just have their contract expire. Um, there has to be some type of out going into that final year with Hill and the Dolphins, doesn't it? Or am I reading this wrong? I haven't looked at his contract. That's a great point that you bring up. But I, what I would say on that is let, let's understand Tyree Kill was a great player for the Miami Dolphins last year and worth every penny. Yes. I believe uh, as the highest paid wide receiver in the NFL. And he'll probably be that this year. But historically when guys start to talk about retirement uh when they have that that seed already planted in their in their brain um some of them and i'm not saying tyree kill but mm -hmm. some of them already have a foot out the door and it doesn't show when things are going good it doesn't show when when they are absolutely healthy but if they have to deal with adversity or if things are not going good for the team, sometimes it, sh it shows. So that's something that now Tyreek Hill has opened the door to that people will be watching out to see if he's somehow uh, victimized by that kind of thinking. Yep, and, and it will be circled for sure uh, in the process of how his contract continues. Uh, production's right there, though. You're right. Armando, always appreciate it. Great work as usual, and uh, thanks for joining us. We'll be checking out all of the 
all of the news and notes from what you put at outkick.com leading up to the draft. Thank you, hot man of hot mic. Appreciate you. See Thank ya. you, hot man. Appreciate yes. you. Thanks. Armando Salguero of outkick.com uh, there in South Beach. We're always very jealous of his uh, his whereabouts, especially today. In a it's actually hot soap, where he soap, is, yes. not, not where we are right now. Weather's going to be hitting in Augusta. Uh, it's like 82 degrees there today, and then rain expected starting tomorrow all the way through Sunday. We'll get an updated leaderboard in about 15 minutes or so. When we come back, uh, we will dive back into a story we hit yesterday involving the potential billion-dollar lawsuit against the NCAA. And when is NIL and recruiting and offers starting way too soon in a prospect's life? Well, there may be one example and maybe the example. That's next on Hot Mike. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. So, Chad, we mentioned yesterday and some clarification and some further details on the potential of a billion-dollar lawsuit facing the NCAA yet again. Right now, it's two former athletes that are seeking educational-related expenses that they would have acquired had the NIL and the Supreme Court ruling and the Alston case happened, which was debated during their time on campus, happened during their time on campus and the it allows schools to pay up to like nearly six grand a year to athletes for educational related expenses they can distribute that if they want to or not it's based on gpa and other things um about 50 schools are doing that now and if you add in the potential of what this could add up to it gets up to around a billion it could be far less than that but nonetheless we know the one thing that the NCAA is scared of, and they're afraid they take a step back from, threat of lawsuits and losing. And when it comes to NIL, we've seen them lose. They're trying to gain some of that back. It's going to be tough to do if we're going to continue to see this. And the, the attorneys that were involved in the Austin case are the attorneys involved in this. Feels extreme. A uh, billion-dollar lawsuit on this over educational expenses that had not been legalized and passed yet but was in debate at the time. Uh, I'm sure the NCAA has good attorneys, but they're, they're going to see more of this. I mean, I'm sure they're facing lawsuits all the time, some we don't even know about, but you're going to see more stuff like this now that the gates have been opened with NIL and now that it's, you know, th- this is Rocky Four, the Russian is cut, the NCAA is cut. There's going to be a lot of people taking haymakers at the NCAA now moving forward. And this is just one example. Yeah, and it's the antitrust um, the debate here that the Alston case went in favor of name, image, and likeness. And, I mean, this is where we're, we're going to end up seeing more. It, it, they say, the, the attorneys say at least 5,000 college athletes, as many as 20,000 athletes are owed back pay for 2018 through 2020 in those seasons. Keep an eye on this because this strung out and then everything, the, the dam broke. 
and we'll see if it yep. goes retroactive as well. Uh, Chad, we're even seeing NIL now at uh, the age of six for one golfer, the age of 10 most recently in Minneapolis, or excuse me, Minnesota, where uh, there, there's a girl who goes to a local gym and she gets to rep the gym on social media for something. We don't know if it's just exchange for using the gym for free or not. Nothing's disclosed like that, but will we see more of this? She also plays, she's a multi-sport athlete, and at 10, she's probably the most profitable middle schooler right now, and maybe, and for certainly in the region, but maybe in the country. Who knows? This I don't know what she's getting paid. Look, this girl's a stud. I mean, you know, kids being paid for uh, Macaulay Culkin comes to mind. You know, th- there's been right. kids who've made Actors. a ton of money that parents, singers, actors, you know, entertainers of all kinds. But not athletes. That get paid. This is a parent decision. Like, this is like whether or not to play travel ball or not with so, your kid if you want to wear them out at an early age. I, I question a little bit a parent calling the gym where their 10-year-old trains and says, Hey, let's monetize this thing. I, yeah. Our daughter's here working out all the time, and she's a really good little athlete, so pay us for that Instagram post that I'm posting to her account for people to watch her pulling a weight or a sled because she's working out in your facility. When you, I'm a little bit uneasy with all this. Did you work out in middle school when you were on no, teams? I, I don't either. think I started lifting weights till high school. Yeah. I remember it being a big thing like not freshman, to lift weights until you were in high school yeah. because your your eighth muscles grade, were still forming at that point. Yeah, eighth grade to ninth grade that summer going into freshman football. Yeah, we were time. just ran until we puked in middle school. <laughs> that was our workout. It was Chad like, still does that. Yeah, run and run suicides in basketball <laughs> until you die. That was our workout regimen in middle school. Masters leaderboard when we return, and Bill Self says he's not going anywhere. He's not leaving. Neither are we. We're back next. 